Um, have you ever had one of those weeks where you go, you just wish there was more of you to go around? Like, you know, more time, more money, more energy, more, you know, like just one of those weeks. I've had that kind of week. Uh, we had a lot of weddings around here, both weekends. We had movement night with, with lots of our, our leaders getting together. Uh, we trained a bunch of pastors and how to make disciples who make disciples and do simple church and stuff, kind of stuff we do around here. And so um, I've had one of those weeks I go, I just wish there was a little bit more of me to go around. Amen, says my wife on the front row, okay? And then if, if you're new, I, I'm also an old father, and so my kids are starting to recognize that I have capacity issues as a dad, right? So I get home five or six, and I'm drained. And I have to like, oh, I got to find the energy for my kids. Uh, my my uh, son, the other night, he's starting to realize that because I'm old, I don't have hair. And so I, I go into his bedroom the other night, and, and he's crying. And I'm like, Chester, why, what's wrong, buddy? Why, why are you crying? He goes, Daddy, you don't have any hair. Like, what happened to your hair? And I had to explain to him that I'm an older father and that that's why I don't have hair, but that not having hair is a sign of high levels of testosterone and masculinity, son. So anyway, amen for any, any uh, we got any ball guys in the house today? Okay. And then, and then uh, we were, we were uh, visiting Chris's family in Iowa a couple weeks ago, and our youngest, who's three, is just figuring out that she doesn't have any grandpas. And so she's asking about grandpa, 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 where's grandpa? And we had explained to her that, you know, her grandpas have passed away. And I had explained to her, but here's the good news, honey. You have an older father. So it's like you have a dad and a grandpa all wrapped up in one. Okay, so you get a, you get a twofer. Lucky, lucky you. So uh, like you, I, I have capacity issues I bump into all, all the time. And then um, as a church, we, we bump into this with people. People go, man, I, I, he- I hear what's happening and I, I, there's heroes being made every week. We'll have pictures today of people doing cool stuff in our, in our church, down in our community. And I hear people sometimes say, I don't know if I, if I can do that stuff. I'm not sure if I fit or not, okay? Which is a horrible feeling if you're me or our staff, because we want everyone to know, regardless of your capacity issues, regardless of where your faith is, whether you're, you're following Jesus or not, or you're going through some health issues or some financial issues, or you just had a baby. We just had one of our worship people come with a new baby. You know, there's just seasons where our capacity is lower. It's lower. But you're still loved, and you're wanted here, and we need you, even during the seasons when you can't do anything but just warm a seat and be fed, okay? Did you hear me on that? All right. So today, I, I want to talk about like this tension that we, we have to live in. Like On one hand, we want people to go, I, I'm loved the way I am, but we also want to always nudge people along and go, hey, you, there is ways that you can be a part of our mission. Because if you're new to restoration, we're a little different. Every church has its own unique calling. Um, our, our calling is to make disciples who make disciples. We always say multiplication beats addition. And so we have a movement of simple churches. A simple church is a group of people, loves God, loves people, makes disciples. We're pushing 600 simple churches now, mainly in our city. So the, these leaders are gathering in homes and they're being in community with each other and they're starting new simple churches. More on that in a, in a, in a little bit. So that's, that's, our, that's our jam, is movement church. And uh, for us to grow as a movement church, we have to grow our capacity in the midst of our limits. And so today I want to talk about how to do that. And here's a very simple idea for us. For us to grow our capacity, whatever stage of life or set of circumstances we find ourselves in, we have to shift from thinking me to we. Me to we, me to we. Hang on to that thought, put a pin in it. All right, here we go. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 20, as Zach said, we've been in it forever. But this one day, we will eventually be out of Acts, probably about September. Today, uh, verses 1 through 12 in chapter 20, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. 
He traveled throughout that area, uh, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, and then he decided to go back through Macedonia. It's amazing how much scripture can pack so much stuff in a couple verses. So here's what's happening. Uh, We were in Ephesus in Acts 19. Uh, While there, Paul led this movement that reached all of Asia. So all of Asia heard the gospel within about three years. So this huge movement was ignited. He's leaving Ephesus now, and and he wanted to go to Syria, but he found out through some people, that oh, if I go to Syria, there's people there, there that want to kill me, which was unfortunately kind of a common experience for Paul. And he goes, I think I'll just hang out here in Macedonia for a while till things cool off. And so he hangs out in Macedonia, and it says that while he was there, he encouraged the churches. Anybody need some encouragement today? I mean, look around you. Look around you. Yeah, someone said always, always. The people around you, they all have burdens. Everyone around you is carrying some kind of load, okay? And a, and a word of encouragement is so, so powerful. I get texts sometimes and people will say, hey, thinking about you, praying for you. Or thanks for doing fill in the blank. And it means, just a little text, and it means so much, right? When you get a, a word from somebody and they're encouraging you, we all need encouragement. Amen, somebody? Okay, let's encourage each other today. Think about someone who needs encouragement and encourage them. Uh, let's continue. Verses four through six. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Segundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. I'm probably not saying these names right, but if you say them with enough confidence, people think you're articulating correctly these names. Uh, these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Okay, so Paul links up with a bunch of these these leaders of simple churches throughout Asia, and and they're in Macedonia, and they're going to go to Troas together. They're waiting for this Jewish festival to end before before they go. Uh, I'm calling time out here just for a moment, though, and I'm going to just talk about what is happening here. Paul realized that he was a limited human being that he had limits to his capacity, and that's why he always did ministry as a team, more than a few minutes. But we tend to think of Paul as being this this beast of a human being. He writes most of the New Testament. If you look at his missionary journeys, it's just unbelievable how many thousands of miles he covered in in a lifetime. But even Paul, as strong as he was, as smart as he was, as filled with the spirit as he was, he had his capacity limits. So check this out. The scriptures are not always flattering. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.10, speaking of Paul, it says, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he's unimpressive. (laughs) I go, okay, okay. So apparently Paul's like presence was not like, whoa, check this guy out. So here's a description of what Paul looked like. Would you like to hear what Paul looked like? Okay, so there's this guy in, in Ephesus named Onesiphorus, and you can read about him in 1 and 2 Timothy. And in an extra biblical document, he describes Paul this way. He says, a man small of stature. So he's a little guy with a bald head. Come on. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, brother. And crooked legs. He's bull-legged. And and a good state of body with eyebrows meeting, which means he had a unibrow. Didn't have a wife. That kind of stuff happens when you have anybody saying, hey, you got to fix that. He looks awful. Um, His nose was somewhat crooked, but he was full of friendliness and for now he appeared like a man, and now he had the face of an angel. Human, but man, as he grew in the ways of Jesus, and as the Spirit filled him, the fruits became more evident. His, his face looked like that of an angel. But he still has his limits. If you read 1 Corinthians 11, 
1 Corinthians 12, you read about like he's got this thorn in the flesh, he's got physical ailments, he's got, he's burdened by the church, he's been betrayed, he's been beat up. So Paul had his capacity limits, just like all of us. We all have a certain level of capacity. He had a lot of capacity, but still had his limits. Uh, Want to see a picture of Paul, what you think he might have looked like? There he is. So this was like a fresco and uh, the Roman Catholic Church, through using some kind of laser technology, was able to clean it up. And uh, again, this is the oldest icon we have of Paul. It probably was based on earlier pictures and drawings. And so he probably didn't look just like this, but you kind of see he's got a little bald thing going on there. But come on, give it up for the goatee. Is that pretty nice? Yeah. I like the little point there. Anyway, that's, that's Paul. Okay. Point being, Paul overcame his limits by thinking we, not just me. We'll come back to that. Okay. Now the rest of the story, I'm not going to read. Uh, because I went really long in the last service, and this is about a guy who preaches too long and people fall asleep, so I don't want to do that to you. So Acts 27 through 12, it's going to be behind me so you can fact check me as I try to paraphrase the story, okay? So uh, this, this ministry team, they, they go to Troas, and they, they go uh, and gather the church there, and they go to the third floor of like an apartment complex or something. And around dinner time, Paul starts to teach and he's like, he's going, man. Like, he's just like, I was in the last service when I went way too long. I'm going to try not to do it to you. He's just like, he's on a roll. He doesn't just do a message. He does like a whole series of messages. And people are getting kind of tired. And they're in a room, it goes till midnight, and there's a bunch of torches. So imagine you're kind of warm, and he's going on and on and on. Your butt's tired, your brain's tired, and you're smelling this oil. There's a guy named Eutychus who's like, I can't do this anymore. So he goes over into a window cell to be able to like get some fresh air and hopefully wake up. And as he's listening, it says in the text, Paul went on and on and on, just like I did in the last service. And, uh, and so Eutychus falls asleep, falls out of the window, and then lands on the ground, and he dies. He dies. And then it says, Paul went downstairs, and he laid on top of him, which is a, it's symbolic of Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament. They had dead people they laid on top of. And he did some kind of CPR meets prayer, and then Eutychus comes back to life. And then we know from tradition, it's not in the scripture, we, we know from tradition that when Eutychus came back to life, he cussed Paul out, cussed him out. But don't judge him because Eutychus too, if you listened to someone preach too long and you died. Uh, come on, man, come on. So I got that from Kyle, our worship leader. You can blame him for that really, really bad joke, all right? Okay. But I do feel better. If Paul couldn't hold people's attention, then, you know, who am I? So, all right. So that's, that's the end of the text. What can we learn from the text? All right. Uh, three things. One is we got to do ministry as a team if we're going to increase our capacity. We have to go from thinking me and like, what can I do for Jesus in this world to what can we do together as a bunch of me's? So we live in a hyper, hyper radical individualistic culture. And we've been raised in it. And it's like the air we breathe. We, just, we don't even realize there's other ways to live except by being super, super individualistic and thinking always about me and what I can do versus what we can do. It's just the air we breathe, okay? And, and so culture is always shaped by ideas. Uh, a few philosophical ideas have shaped us. And usually the, the culture is shaped by ideas that are hundreds of, of years in their making. So let's go back to enlightenment briefly. Before the enlightenment, people didn't think. They didn't think me. They always thought we. If you go to third world countries, traditional societies, they always think we, family, tribe, nation, people group, before they think me. 
They always think about how my actions are affecting the, the people around me. And, and this was true in the Western world until the Enlightenment. And, and the Enlightenment happened in part to correct some of the crimes of the church. People were misusing their authority and asking people to do things and spend money on buildings and things. And so the people were being corrupt in the church, like, we don't like that. And so there was this move away from like authority structures, churches, family, tribes, towards the individual, okay? And so the rallying cry of the Enlightenment was Descartes' statement, I think, therefore I am. Do you see the shift there? The shift from we and authority structures, family, tribe, church, etc., to me, to I. And it was a move away from revelation. Hey, God speaks to us through nature. He's spoken to us specifically through Jesus and, and the word of God. A move away from revelation to reason. I think, therefore I am. It was a new epistemology based on this foundation of me and my ability to think and find life, apart from tradition, apart from authority, apart from God. So we live in this. Uh, Rousseau was... Uh, kind of coming out of, the, out of the Enlightenment, there was another movement called the Romantics. Some of you who read, you know, studied philosophy, you know this. Then the existentialists, they realized, shoot, you know what? If we're going to abandon God and not think we, but think me, and there's no revelation, it's kind of lonely out here in the universe. And so they realized, we got to find, we got to find truth beginning with ourselves. We got to find a story to live in. And so Rousseau said, man is born free, but everywhere he is in chains. It's this idea that we have these, these shiny, simmering, authentic selves, but the culture around us and the teachings of others, family, schools, education systems, government, culture, it's chaining us, it's enslaving us. And so our culture, what do we talk about a lot now? Finding our authentic selves. Prior to the Enlightenment, no one talked that way. We talk that way in our culture because we're all trying to find some meaning, some story that we can create that gives us some, some air to breathe and some meaning to live for. So this is the culture we live in. Well, um, cultures and people, we're just badly aligned cars. And so uh, the Enlightenment was a corrective to a lack of uh, belief in, in reason and, and misuses of revelation. So then we go over here, and it's about the individual, and it's about reason, which has been good, led to so, the scientific revolution and technology and all that. And, and so now we're like, we, we, as a church, part of our job is we got to get back to the middle of the road and not just be a bunch of me's, but be a we together as a community. And so I want to quote one more philosopher, perhaps one of the greatest philosophers of all time, Phil Jackson. Um, everyone who lived in that era knows what I'm talking about. Phil Jackson? Okay. Raise your hand if you know Phil Jackson. Who's my audience? Okay. Well, about half of you. You guys need to watch Last Dance, Netflix, greatest basketball team, except maybe the Celtics. Okay. Phil Jackson. All right. So he had to put together Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, Pippen, all these very diverse personalities and create an incredible team that won six championships. Phil Jackson said, the strength of the team is each individual member. The strength of each member is the team. He, he's bringing the me and the we together. The team needs some me's, but the me's need some we, okay? So the me's need the we, and the we needs the me. I like that. I just made that up. I kinda, it kind of rings, you know? Someone tweet that thing. I like that. All right, so Restoration was planted 11 years ago. Uh, I started it with a cardboard box, a little light bulb, and no money, okay? That's how you start churches. And, and then you start trying to find people money. But imagine if I never created any kind of we. Like, where would we be today? I'll tell you where we'd be. We'd be on my front yard, and it would be uh, Carissa, my wife, and my kids. That'd be it. Because without a team, man, you can't go very far. Super big capacity limits on this guy. We'd have a little restoration sign, maybe in front of the house. And I'd be preaching to my kids the same message every single week. 
obey your parents. Obey your parents. So it will go well with you. It's a promise, kid, in the Bible. And I tell them how they could obey their mother and I that week. And then my message for my wife, I'll just give it to you right now, honey. We're called to be one flesh. One flesh. Let's work on that this week. We're going on vacation this week. Sweet. All right. TMI. All right. But that would be the message every single week. Kids, obey your parents. Honey, one flesh. And we'd have a church of like four people on the front porch, and that'd be about it. Fortunately, that's not what happened. We built a team. Here's what our staff team looks like now, because many of you don't know our staff team. And so this is us. We're, uh, we're in Boulder because the air's fresher. And um, I'm that guy. I want you to know something. I could be the biological father of everybody on this team. Yeah, that's kind of scary. So I love my team. I love my team. I love working with young people. They breathe so much life into me, and uh, they do so much to equip you guys to be on teams and do the work of the ministry of the church. Can we give it up for our staff team? But if all we have is our staff team, we'd still have very little impact. And so um, raise your hand if you're on the serve team around here, like you serve on the weekends and stuff. Good. Hoping after today that number of hands goes up. Um, Thank you. Can we give it up for our serve team? Because there are hundreds of people who serve every single week in our church. You serve by helping us on the weekends. You work with our kids. You do technology. You do the slides. You do worship. You greet and do food and coffee and keep us caffeinated. And we love you. We're grateful for you. You also lead our simple churches, our up to 600 simple churches. Now, you're, you're doing that during the week. You're doing the work of the ministry. And there's no way that we can do what we do without you. We need each other. To increase our capacity, we need each other. So, hey, if you want to serve around here, like, what do I do? What do I do? The two main ways is well, we do three things. Hap, we drink, we do happy hours, and we do, uh, we do worship services, and we do simple churches, okay? That's it. We're a very simple church, and it's a funnel. We bring people in, and we get into simple churches. So uh, two ways you can serve around here. One is you can go to the app uh, or the website and join our serve team, and our serve team has to grow this summer because fall's coming. People are going to come back from vacations. We're going to get bigger, and uh, we need you on the serve team because we don't want to burn anybody out. Or you can join a simple church and use your gifts in the context of that simple church. If you have questions about that, see us on the porch, but you can join a simple church by going to our app. Or you can start a simple church by uh, letting us train you, and we'll, we'll launch you, and you can gather your friends and start a simple church. Okay? So the main way, like number one way we increase our capacity is we don't think me, we think we. We get involved in community, and we join a team, and we serve with other people. Are you tracking with me? Good, good, because I'm going on vacation here. we got to keep going. All right, uh, two, know your spiritual gifts. To be an effective me in the context of a team, you got to know what you bring to the team or you bring to your simple church. And so the Bible talks about how if you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells you, and you have gifts that you can use to build up other disciples of Jesus in community. Okay? So let's talk about that for a few minutes. So Acts chapter 20, it's preceded by Acts 19. Paul's been in Ephesus. And while in Ephesus, he did a lot of teaching. He did a lot of training. And he stayed there for three years, the longest he stayed anywhere. And we get a little peek into his curriculum in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, where he says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. All right, so we're going we're to turn that passage into a test. How many of you like, like the 
Enneagram people here? Enneagram? Okay, cool. Any threes in the room? I'm curious. Come on, threes. Yeah, there we go. Uh, how about Strength Finder? Nope. Myers-Briggs? Strength Finder. Woo! Uh, Myers-Briggs, Culture Index, all these tests. These tests are super helpful because they help us understand ourselves, right? Well, I want to give you the test that might be the most important test you ever take because this is a spiritual test, and, and the nature of this test is eternal. So we're going to call it the APES test, okay? APES test. APES stands for Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher. Here we go. Uh, this is important for us. There's other lists, by the way, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. There's a smattering of spiritual gifts throughout the scripture. These are not, this is not a comprehensive, exhaustive list, okay? I mean, even the list in the Bible are probably not complete. There's all kinds of spiritual gifts. But these are important because as a church, we have a unique calling to be a movement church, and the church in Ephesus was a movement church. So these are important for us. Okay, apostles. Apostles bring the kingdom of God where the kingdom is not. When they see a friendship group or a place in a city or a people group that doesn't know Jesus, they're burdened by that. It bothers them until they can reach some people in that people group share the gospel, people come to faith, and then they start communities where people can be in spiritual family and, and grow together. Um, apostles are like a Swiss army knife. They're not great at anything, but they're good at a few things. So this is my primary gift. I don't, Chris will tell you, I'm not, good at, I'm not great at anything, nothing. But I can start churches. That's always been kind of my gifting. And uh, you, some of you, may be apostolic as well. So the apostles were not just 12 guys who followed Jesus for three years approximately in the Bible. If you read through the New Testament, there are other people who were apostles. There was even a woman named Junius in Romans 16 who was an apostle, someone who started churches and reached people groups. And you might be an apostle if you're entrepreneurial. Raise your hand if you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, come on. Okay, I'm seeing some apostles here probably. Uh, we've watched this again and again in our, in our disciple-making movement. People who have the gift of apostleship, starting a simple church is easy, like easy peasy, okay? So in my simple church, we have a number of people who've started simple churches, some are in the room right now. I'm going to start with Jim Kreibman and Debbie Kreibman. This is Jim, good-looking guy over here. Give it up for Jim and Debbie. Come on. All right. Uh, Jim has started a number of companies. He's like a really smart guy. I got all these Ivy League people in my simple church, all smart people. He's got two simple churches, right? Yeah, two of them right now uh, with some of his friends who, who are not following Jesus or beginning to follow Jesus. Debbie also has started a company and she's got a simple church. And hers, is, I think, is on pause right now, but starting back up in the fall. So those are two people in my simple church. Now we got John Orr, who's a Fresca fan. Yeah. <laughs> So John sent me a couple of pictures, and I wanted to use this one instead of the really dignified picture of him fly fishing because uh, entrepreneurs tend to be highly caffeinated people. So pray for John. He has an addiction to Fresca. Anyway, John also has a simple church. John has started companies, and now he actually starts a number of companies. He helps other people have the money to start companies. So uh, I've got these people in my simple church that are highly entrepreneurial, and they're starting simple churches. Chances are, if you're entrepreneurial, you may have some apostolic gifts. Surveys indicate 3% of the church has apostolic gifts. That's about right, given the number of hands that just went up. So if you have this gift, we need you, okay? We need you. I will personally, and our team will personally pour into you if you have this gift. Because all of us can start simple churches, but apostles have this ability to start a lot of them, okay? Uh, number two, we got the, the gift of prophecy. Prophecy. 
Tim Mackey, who is in charge of the Bible Project, if you haven't seen it, all these great podcasts and videos to help us better understand Scripture. He's brilliant. I met him once, super sweet guy. He says the gift of prophecy is this. It's spirit-guided speaking that is inspired by God's word and that makes the message specifically relevant to people's lives or to the life of a church community. Okay? So in our church, you know, we have a teaching team, we team teach. There's something different about Jason Soderstrom when he teaches. So people who have this gift, they, they're not like prophets in the Old Testament. Prophets in the Old Testament, they, God would speak to them and they were like social commentators and they would like challenge a community, the community of Israel to get back on track with God. And then sometimes they would, they would like foretell the future. People who have New Testament gifts of prophecy, they take the word of God, they listen to the word of God, they're saturated in it, and they speak it into the life of a community. And that's what Jason does when he speaks. Um, Jason's our executive pastor, if you're new. And, and there's just something about the way he speaks. It's like it's, it feels very directed towards guiding our community to be the kind of church God is calling us to be. Okay? You might have this gift if you're that annoying person at work that's always challenging the status quo. Like you, you notice that things are not integrated. We say we're this, we're really that. We have a mission, but we have a shadow mission. You might be that person who's like, you know, we say these are our values. We're not living these values. If you're that person, right, that's kind of a thorn in people's flesh, you might have the gift of prophecy. We'd encourage you to get in the word of God, use it in your simple churches, speak to us. I have people prophesy to me all the time, going, hey, Ron, here's where our church seems to be going, but you said it was going to go over here. So what, what, there, there's a disconnect, and I appreciate that. I need people to speak like those word, words of prophecy to me. We need your gifts in our church. Okay, number three, APEST, A-P-E. Um, evangelists, they share the gospel and train others to share the gospel. Um, if you're in sales and you can like, sell snow to Eskimos, you might have this gift, all right? Um, Benji spoke at Movement Night last week. Here's Benji. There's Benji. There's, he was in the last service. Um, Benji is an evangelist. If you hang around Benji, he's always sharing stories about how he's sharing the gospel that week with somebody at work. He came into Denver to help a church called Doubters Church, which did nothing but like reach atheists. Like if you're a Christian, don't come to our church. You're an atheist, come on. And, and so he, he just loves sharing his faith with people who need Jesus. Right? So if you have a sales background, you, you might have this gift. You just need to train yourself to learn how to share the gospel, share your story, learn how to listen well to people. We'd love to help you develop that gift in our Multiply Training uh, gatherings. Um, number four is shepherds. Shepherds in the Bible are also called pastors. Shepherds care for and protect God's people. What's a shepherd do? Get some sheep right. Here's some green pasture. Here's some water. Watch out for the wolf. I'm going to you know, throw a rock at the wolf, whatever. That's what shepherds do. Care, protect, care, protect. Uh, if you're a manager or a coach, you might have this gift. I was talking to a friend this week who probably could retire 100 times over. I go, why are you staying in business? And he has a number of businesses. He says, I love to develop people. I love helping shy people become, you know, more confident. I love people who don't think they're a leader, helping them become leaders. And I realize he doesn't use people to do business. He uses business to do people, right? You might have that gift. If you're a coach or a manager, there's a chance you have shepherding gifts. My wife, my wife, who is in this picture in the front row, but she's the cute one between the She's the cute one. Uh, she has this gift, and I watch it all the time. People come over to our house, and if they talk to me, they leave discouraged. They talk to her, and all of a sudden, they're smiling, and she'll take a lap around Wash Park, and they come in, came in all heavy and burdened. They leave, you know, smiling and skipping their step. She has this shepherding gift, and praise God for that. Uh, we need lots of people who have this gift to use this gift because we all need some encouragement, like we talked about earlier. 
many people who care for other people in the church and protect them, say, hey, man, I see you going in a direction. That's not going to end well for you. That's not going to move you close to Jesus. Let's come back to the narrow way of Jesus because that way leads to life. Okay, we need you. We need you. And last but not least, teachers, the shepherd teaching gift, it's hyphenated in Greek, so these often go together. Um, teachers help people understand the truths of Scripture. So if you're a teacher, coach, manager, you might have this gift because they tend to go together, and we'd love for you to use your gift to help us understand the Word of God. When in our simple churches, we look up, and this is where the teachers kick in. We look back and we talk about our week and hold each other accountable. We look ahead and make plans. The teachers kick in. When we look up and we get into the Word of God, teachers have these incredible insights and these nuggets of wisdom that help us understand the Word of God and apply it to our lives. One more picture. Sammy Joe. Sammy Joe, uh, she was in the last service. She's upstairs right now using her teaching shepherding gift to teach my kids. Uh, we, we have a lot of parents who attend a service and then serve in a service. And so at 1030, she's up there with the kids who are hanging out all day and she's pouring into them and she's created a leadership institute for our kids. Because if they can breathe, they can lead. Okay, around here. Okay. All right, so if you have the gift, please use that gift. All right, so how do you find your gift? Uh, pray. Let's start with prayer because God, God's the giver of the gifts. He loves to give us gifts. He's given all of us gifts. So ask him, what's my gift? What's my gift? Uh, also, you might study Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, become more acquainted with these, meditate, think about, make observations about this list, and just try stuff. You don't, maybe you don't know what you're good at. The only way you figure that out is you try stuff. Try teaching. Try sharing your faith. And, and as you try stuff, people will tell you, hey, you know what? You're really good at that. I see this in you. And you'll discover your gifts. But we need your gifts. We need to discover them and use them so that we can be the kind of church God wants us to be, so we can go deeper and, and wider. All right, last point. If we're going to go from me to we um, and help the we, uh, that is our church, become a stronger church, uh, we have to be who God made us to be and do what God made us to do. All right, this is where I'm going to hypothesize about Eutychus for a little bit. Okay, Eutychus, he... he you know, he's risen back from the dead, he's resuscitated, and then he, you know, he goes in, listens to Paul, then they take him home, it says, and they put him in bed, and he's got a nice meal. And let's say that uh, you know, after he cussed Paul out, because you'd have cussed too if you fell out of a window, after that happened, uh, and he finishes uh, like concussion protocol, it doesn't completely work. And there's a part of his brain that just is not lighting up anymore. And so he never learns how to read. So one of his limits is, is he can't read. And so he discovers he's good with his hands. And so let's say uh, Eutychus becomes a silversmith and he starts making cool things out of silver. And, and he's in a simple church where people are pouring into him and he's being formed into the image of Christ as he is faithful. Eutychus was faithful. And, and whenever he'd hear the word of God, he'd apply it to his life. As he was faithful, he matured. And so he developed a great reputation as a man of God in the marketplace. And let's say one day a, a woman walks in to, to the silversmith store. And she goes, hey, I want a cross. I need like a little cross and necklace. And he notices that she's kind of cute. And so they fall in love. And let's say they get married and they have a couple daughters. And then um, they realize they have shepherd teaching gifts. And so together they start a simple church out of their simple church. And they just pour in to some people and they help them grow in the ways of Jesus. And let's say in, in Eutychus' li his lifetime, he, uh, he leads his two daughters to Jesus and one other person that he meets in the marketplace. And that's it. That's it. Only three people in his whole lifetime. But he's faithful. He was faithful to be who God made him to be and to do what God made him to do. 
what kind of impact might a guy like Eutychus, a faithful man like Eutychus, who just tries to do what God called him to do, what kind of impact might he have? Well, perhaps out of that simple church, as these disciples grew, another simple church got started. Just one, not a lot, just one. But maybe that simple church has some people with a different gift mix, and they started a bunch. And maybe, maybe, over the last 2,000 years, thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people can trace their faith back to Eutychus, back to his faithfulness. That disciples were made, that made disciples, that made disciples, that made disciples. Maybe some of us in the room today could trace our spiritual lineage all the way back to Eutychus. Is that a successful life? You bet it is. You bet it is. You know, we live in a culture where we compare ourselves all the time. Social media teaches us to always watch the highlight reels and feel bad about ourselves. Sometimes here at Restoration, we make heroes out of people. and like, I can never be Jim. I can never be Debbie. I can never be Sammy Joe. And we compare ourselves with each other. I want to encourage you, church, please don't do that. That that will rob you of joy and freedom. All God wants from you is to be who God has made you to be. You. You. And to do what God has made you to do. As you just stay faithful to do the next thing that God wants you to do, he will use you in ways you can't even imagine right now. So restoration, let's be a family of people who doesn't just think me, but thinks we. Let's discover our spiritual gifts. Let's use them to serve one another. Let's get in our simple churches and use our gifts there. And together, we can accomplish way, way more than any one of us ever could, could possibly accomplish. Um, if you're new to our church, we, we like to emphasize uh, practice and obedience not just hearing the word of God, but actually doing it. So um, I want to suggest a few possible applications you could make today. But if none of these fit you, please just listen to the Spirit, whatever the Spirit's saying to you, and do that, okay? But some possible I will statements that you might, might make. We do these in our simple church every week. I will pray and ask God to help me discover my spiritual gifts. Maybe you're like a little intrigued. Your heart started kind of racing a little faster about that apex thing. You're like, I got to figure that out. I might be, I might be, I might be. Ask God what gift or gifts he's given you. Um, number two, I will ask God to show me how I can better use my gifts. Some of you know your gifts. Um, maybe you ask God, how can I better use them to serve people in my simple church and to maybe on the serve team help us be a better church? Because our gifts were meant for each other. And then last, maybe you, you, you think, I, I need a place to use my gifts. I need a place to build people up. Maybe you join a simple church or, or a team. And again, you go to our app, website, or see us outside. But I want to encourage you to take a few moments. We're going to bow our heads right now. It's Bernard Place, and we're just going to listen. So if you would bow your heads. And then ask, ask Jesus, what do you want me to do with what you've been saying to me today? How can I take the word of God and put flesh on it? What is my I will statement? While those of you who are followers of Jesus are listening and making application, I'm going to speak just briefly to those of you who are not sure where you are with the Lord. Like you don't know the state of your relationship. You're like, I want to be a follower. I want to be a Christian, whatever that is. I just don't know what to do. And here's the good news. It's not about what you can do. It's about something you can receive right now. 
So the first step of being a disciple of Jesus is receiving what he did for you on the cross. Jesus came into the world to teach us that our relationship with God is irreparably broken because of sin. Because of our choices again and again to not love God, not love people. And so he went to the cross to forgive our sin and make our sin a non-issue. And then he invites us to follow him as Savior and Lord. And as we do so, he restores what's broken inside of us, the very image of God. And so right now, if you want to receive the gift of Jesus and his salvation, just pray something like this in your heart or just say yes in your heart if this prayer is consistent with your desires. Jesus, right now, I, I receive you and what you've done for me on the cross. I receive your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. I receive it all right now. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I also want to follow you as my king because I believe you're the way to my best life. Take my life for yours. If that's your prayer in your heart right now, just say yes. Just say yes. Jesus, yes, I, I make you my savior and my Lord. And if you just said yes, we'd encourage you to get baptized as soon as possible. Um, it, it's the first step Jesus asked new disciples is to go and get baptized as a way of showing a watching world, your friends, family, and God himself that your sins have been washed away by Jesus and you have a new life in him. Uh, we'd love to be a part of that, that uh, moment in your life. You can let us know on our website or our connection card. Jesus, thank you that you're, you're here today. Your spirit is in the room. You're speaking to us. Your, your word is living and active and you've been speaking to us. Uh, Father, we, we all, as you know, we have these very significant limits. Help us embrace our limits as a gift and, and realize it's not on us, any of us, to see your movement and, and your mission happen in the world. It's on us together. And so help us not just be a church full of me's. Help us be a we. Help us use our gifts to build each other up and to do your work in this world. And all this to the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.